Just another kind of standalone message as we finish out, round out the book of Hebrews before Easter, uh, which is in March this year, which is just too early, but I don't know. Easter's in March, but we'll be there really soon preparing ourselves for that celebration that we have every year of, uh, of Christ's resurrection. So, all right, so when I arrived about four years ago, this would be my fourth year this summer at Emmanuel, uh, we were kind of entering a new chapter and a new phase as a church. Um, phase one, I think, was just kind of surviving the pandemic. I don't even like to think about that phase because it was just... It was the worst, right? But we survived, like every other church that had to kind of push through the pandemic. And so that was year one for me, uh, the best time in the world to, uh, to become the pastor of a church for the first time. And then the second phase, if you, for those of you who were with us at that point, we, uh, we pursued a consulting firm to kind of come in and help get us, get us re, reoriented back to mission back to, to vision. Uh, they helped instill, you know, a discipleship pathway for us in terms of how do we make disciples here as a church? What is our mission? What is our vision? What does local evangelism and outreach look like for our church? And that was a really beneficial time. And, and, um, and that kind of put us in the third phase, which was really investing more of our um, uh, ministry in terms of outreach here to our local Community, we, We've done a lot of uh, outreaches in our parking lot in Mac Park, and now we've developed um, a, a food pantry, which we had a tremendous showing for this, this week, and we're looking to further that as that booklet we had last week, and um, we've been talking about of, of building what we're calling the Lighthouse, this big kind of community ministry center project that's very ongoing still. And so now we're kind of in the fourth phase, which will ultimately kind of never really end. Right, but um, it's what the Malfers Group, uh, the consulting firm we hired some years ago, kind of set us up for that we've been really uh, kind of pursuing and after, but things haven't really been sticking as, as we would have liked. But the short of it is, we're going to go back and lay just a, a brand new, fresh foundation of how we raise up followers of Jesus here, how we are being formed into his image at Emmanuel Church and how we grow in his likeness. Uh, if you spend any time in church, this is often called discipleship. Um, even though that word outside the church is not really used in our culture, right? But the, the, the word itself really just means uh, in terms of the, in what scripture says and what Christ says, you know, take up your cross and follow after me. It's this pursuit of, of maturity in Christ. And we're going to talk a lot about that this morning. Um, this is going to be um, uh, hopefully bricks that we're laying down, right? That will be uh, survive a, a strong foundation that if, you know, another crisis were to come to this church, like every, you know, this church had its own crisis some years ago, but every church in the country had the pandemic to face. And a lot of churches realized, at least I hope that realized, and it put me into a lot of deep thinking as well, is how, how do we build a church that has some resilience to it, that can really uh, persevere through difficulty in crisis. I mean, I think hopefully in your own life you've thought about these own questions. Crisis and sufferings and difficult things happen in all of our life. And it's one of the biggest ways that it, it kind of exposes um, 
what foundation is in your own life, right? When, when a fire comes, what remains is a testimony to what was there before. Is that true personally as individuals? It's also true as a church. Like what, what are we building on right now? What foundation are we building that can help us become this, this New Testament image of what you know, the church is called to be? Paul, early on in his ministry, uh, he was facing a lot of uh, foundations that he referred to as kind of rocky and challenging um, and things that were not um, as they should be, right? Beginning in verse Corinthians 3, 10 to 11, um, uh, well, before we get there, you know, the, the, the challenges there were that he had these really powerful leaders, but there was multiple ones of them. They're very strong, very powerful, very charismatic, very uh, knowledgeable, and just, yeah, just like powerful leaders. And people in the church kept kind of, you know, I, I'm in this guy's lane. No, 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 I'm in this leader's lane. I'm in the lane of Apollos. Well, you know, I follow Paul, not Apollos. Like, come on now. And that kind of thing was going on. And Paul said, no, like, what are we doing here? The foundation is not Apollos. The foundation is not Paul. And that was the situation going on at their church. And Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 11. He said, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid. Read this with me. What is it? Which is? Jesus Christ. He continues on about how, you know, at the day of judgment, when Christ returns, each church, every Christian, they're going to discover what their foundation was. Everything will be exposed before him, says Paul. I'm kind of summarizing the verses that come directly after that. Is the foundation built on gold, precious stones, or wood, or straw? I think in a smaller way, like, you know, crisis in our lives and our church, it kind of exposes that as we just said, you know, I was reminded of this some years ago when I was living in New Jersey, there was Hurricane Sandy, right? It just devastated the shore, the Jersey shore. And there was a, um, a strip of, there's a strip of land that we lived really close to when we were there. And this land is, is some miles long, but it's separate kind of away from the, from the mainland of Jersey. And so there's a big bay of water in between it. And then there's the wide expanse of the ocean on this eastern side. There's a lot of little beach towns dotted throughout this strip of land. And one of them was Mantelokin. Is Mantelokin. It's, it's still there. And there's a, you know, there's a bridge that connects Mantelokin to the main inland of Jersey that kind of goes over that bay. A long time ago before that little strip of land was populated and had the houses on it, there was where that bridge was, there was a natural inlet of water that went right over that strip of land. Okay, but over time, engineers and, you know, et cetera, they realized this is valuable land. This is on the beach. And so they built over that inlet. They, they firmed the ground up and they built homes there just for a massive hurricane to come and recreate the inlet. And homes were literally just gone. Like the bridge had homes jammed underneath it beneath the water. Like it was just, just gone. What happens 12 years later? If you drive, that, drive by that spot, there's homes again, right there. And I really hope those homeowners ask the hard questions. Hey, are we sure that's never gonna happen again? <laughs> How sure are we? I really hope that we're sure here that the foundations can withstand what just happened and that this home will not be underneath that bridge once again. 
Those are the questions I think after the pandemic every church really should be asking because a lot of stuff that happened that was going on in churches before the pandemic and afterwards, people scattered, pastors left, you know, churches closed down. Some churches lost 50, 60, 70% of their people and it was just like, what is going on? Like, what, where are the foundations here? Like, what are we building on that wasn't so resilient that just poofed in the midst of a crisis? And so as we're looking at that, in phase four, um, we talked about the, the upward, inward, outward kind of, you know, vision for 2024. In our efforts at disciple making, this, this inward part right here, we're going to go back to square one as a church. Just absolute, just square one, okay? This will be a unique theme we're stepping into, so here's the announcement portion, and then kind of back to the sermon. This is not a perfect solution or a perfect starting point by any means, but um, we're going to lean into this. So we're going to jump in church-wide, it means all of us, including those of you who are at home. Um, If you're a member, if you think you're a member, if you're a regular attendee, or any combination of the three, um, we are asking you to please join in, in Alpha together. So... What is Alpha? Alpha is a, a, a long course. It's about 15 or 16 weeks or so. And um, it's a course designed ultimately for evangelism and then also laying down kind of like Christianity 101 sort of thing. And so before I explain more, here's just a brief one minute trailer that kind of shows this course. Every day. We are inundated with so much information. Yet so many questions remain. How can I find my purpose? Why am I here? What should I believe? How can I find peace? Why is life so unfair? How can I thrive in challenging times? How can I make the most of my life? These are life's big questions, but there's rarely enough time to think them through properly. If you live to be 70, You're going to spend 20 years and 3 months asleep, 10 years and 5 months watching TV, 5 years and 9 months in some form of transportation, 7 years and 6 months eating and drinking. Why not spend less than 24 of them asking life's biggest questions and try out So Alpha has been used by over 23 million people around the world. Um, It is kind of an on-ramp Um, in many ways to Christianity and kind of just a reminder of Christianity one-on-one. But it's more than that. Um, Alpha is really designed to be done over a meal, sharing food together. And it's also um, designed to be done in smaller groups of people, about 10 to 12. And so what we're going to do is build this new fresh discipleship pathway using Alpha as kind of the template as we all join in on this. Um, and we're going to, you know, uh, have a meal together. Um, this will be a weekly event beginning in mid-February. And um, we're going to have a morning session and an evening session. There should be some details in the bulletin you received. And so as we eat together, we're going to then watch these really well-done videos together that spur a lot of questions and break apart throughout the church building in smaller groups and have 
discussions. And what's, what the most important thing isn't so much the, the content, which, you know, all of us can benefit from revisiting the basics. We never graduate from the basics. We're never, um, you know, we never graduate from just the, the core of the good news of who Jesus is and what the Spirit's work is in our life. But when we break apart into smaller groups, right, in the time we have over the meals, there's going to be a space for a weekly basis for about three months where we get to invest into each other in that kind of environment. We get to get, you're going to be devoted to the same group for 12 weeks or 15 weeks. And that same group that you're meeting with, you're going to get to know them, hear their stories, hear their struggles, discuss these big questions together. And as we do so, the goal here is that we're going to become a deeply relational church and use the work of the next three months of being together in those smaller groups to continue that kind of relational ministry here throughout the summer and then throughout the fall. So it'll launch us on a new path as a church of being a relational church. The goal here is learning, um, is what Paul says in Romans 12, verses 9 through 10. He speaks, he says, you know, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, speaking to, a, to the church. He says, cling to what is good, but he says, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourself. Being devoted to one another, it can't be just Sunday morning. That's just for a few hours a week, you know? We can come and we can leave. You know, Jesus had 12 disciples. He also had his inner three in the 12, Peter, James, and John. And that kind of stands as a testimony for us. This, this thing we're jumping into in about three weeks is, is, is really going to, to put in front of us the reality, the very biblical reality that you simply cannot grow in Christ alone. You can't do it. Sunday mornings are simply not enough for you to experience the full transformative work that Jesus, through his spirit, wants to do in your life. The best we can do is try to manufacture and create space for us to meet in small groups, but ultimately it's going to be up to us to devote ourselves to one another, as Paul said, to devote ourselves to one another. Again, Wednesday morning or Wednesday lunch session every week and then a Wednesday evening session every week up until about the end of May, except Easter, every single week beginning February 14th. But in this kind of ministry that we're talking about, it's, it's all over the New Testament. Here's just one example found in Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles and all who were there believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." This shows kind of the results 
of Christians meeting together. You know, the early church met in Solomon's portico. Often that was kind of the big gathering like we experience here, but they were in each other's homes constantly, eating food together, praying together, sitting beneath the apostles' teaching together. And just even outside of that, if there was a need amongst them, they were selling stuff to make sure there was no need among them. There was a incredible, lively, vibrant community that was really the core, the nucleus, the foundation as the body of Christ that caused great power to be revealed among them and even caused their numbers to continually increase throughout their community. He added to the number day by day those who were being saved. And Alpha is just the way we're going to seek to pursue this. We already have some life groups around and what is happening there, we seek to multiply across our congregation is a, is a, uh, is a new uh, ministry culture here, a new pathway here. Becoming a deeply relational church is really the focus. So yeah, uh, the last of the announcement piece here. Next week um, will be sign-ups for that because there'll be meals and things, more details to come about the nuances of this. So and we'll have a little Q&A after service if you have any questions. That's for next Sunday. But why do we want to, you know, focus so heavily on this? Why do we want to talk about this and do something as strenuous as saying, hey, for a weekly basis for three months, let's be together as a church. Let's break apart in small groups together. Like why, why focus so heavily on this? Because I, I want this church to chase with all of our heart and soul the, the very biblical reality, I, I want to just use the right <laughs> words here. Um, there's a lot of, you know, to, pers- to, to just, it, when I read, I'm in the phase of my life and I read the Bible, it's kind of a new phase and it sounds like it shouldn't be a thing that I'm just now learning to do, but it sure is. What the Bible says, I'm just taking for what it says. And that sounds very simple. But a lot of times I was trained to read the Bible and like come up with like justifications. Well, I don't know, that verse can't really mean that, but like, you know, because this other verse over here, so I don't know, I'll just look over there. Like, whatever the Bible says at this point in my life, I'm saying, you know what? If Jesus radically healed people and cast demons out of people, okay, well, that's the reality. Let's, let's go. Like, he gave us the power. Let's, that's what it says. What is, let's, let's do it. What, what are we doing? If, if the church was meeting together and selling their possessions and, and ensuring nobody had need and they were daily in each other's homes and living that kind of life together, then what are we doing? Let's, let's, let's do this. Let's share in that. Because there's great, I, I'm convinced that not just our church, but so many churches around our country, like we have to just be so intentional about how we do this because there is such... It, There is such power available to us. There is such transformation that can take place when we lean into the very ways that Jesus did his own ministry and set up the church to do it. When we cast ourselves into that, what we're going to discover is that who God is, his very nature, his very life of who he is, friends, he wants to share that with us. He wants to pour it into us. This is what I mean. This is not some visionary sermon. We're going to have to read some scriptures that that speak this highly. Because this is a reality. If you know Jesus and his spirit is inside of you, it is impossible for us to not be transformed deeper into his image Or on the inverse, just live miserable lives knowing that he wants to transform you, but you keep kicking against him. 
That is what the reality is for us. So there's really two things we're going to talk about in the rest of this sermon. It's the kind of change that comes from community and the need to be in community with one another. But let's talk about the need for change because that's the ultimate goal of all this. Any kind of ministry that we try to do here, any kind of small group ministry that we've been pursuing, the, what is the ultimate goal for it? It is transformation into the likeness of Christ. I heard this illustration from a pastor um, just recently that he heard from another pastor. You always wonder if these stories are true. I don't know. But it's a good story. So um, this, this old Scottish pastor was walking around um, in Scotland. And, you know, it's a much older place in America. And so he's in this ancient graveyard. And there's graveyards that are centuries, five, six hundred years old. And he goes to see this giant rock slab that's on the ground. And it's 500 plus years old. I mean, huge, just rock slab laying there. But what happened with this ginormous rock slab that weighs who knows how much, when it was laid down centuries ago, there was an acorn beneath it. Now, if you held an acorn next to a massive piece of rock, what would be stronger, you know? You would think if you put a rock over that acorn, that thing would just be just obliterated. Given enough centuries, that little acorn grew, and it grew, and that marble slab that was down was just opened up to this beautiful tree that just pushed itself all the way through that huge block. And that is used here as a representation of what God wants to do through his spirit in us. What we think may be impossible to be transformed inside of us, which is the goal of all this ministry we're talking about, what we may feel in our lives to be marble slabs that are immovable, that have just kind of been there forever, the spirit of his acorn, if you will, the acorn of his spirit, is in you. And there's nothing in your life that is weighing you down that is just kind of carrying your shoulders that that acorn cannot break through. And the question is, I'm gonna read some scripture here. Do you believe this? Like, do you believe this? I'm in the full conviction that we should be hungry for a complete transformation in our life into the likeness of Christ. If we should desire this, we should, we should be hungry for this. Whatever stage you are in life, if you're new in Christ, if you were in the, kind of the long years of you know, raising kids and kind of in the 30s, 40s, and 50s to the latter half of life, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. The reality is God is chasing after you. He's not going to stop until the last moment that you take that last breath because he is not a complacent God. He does not want us to thrust our lives into this kind of like cruise control mode as we lean back on those long years of our life and just kind of coast until the end. He wants to break through in our life. This is how Peter describes this breakthrough. And this is, you know, I'm not talking, you know, let scripture speak here. 2 Peter 1 through 3, 3 through um, uh, 4 here. Let me just remind you who this is coming from. This is coming from Peter, who denied Christ, right? If, if he has some, some, some needed transformation in his life, this is from him. This is later in his life. 
This is how he describes this. He says, his divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these things, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Let's just stop. We're an evangelical church. Um, that's kind of the heritage. There's, there's many uh, evangelical churches around our country. We don't, you know, the divine power thing makes sense. We kind of, we're kind of accustomed to that, right? He, he, he has given us everything we need for, for a godly, holy life in him. Yes, he has called us by his own glory and goodness. He has called us. Our life in Christ began with him, not with us, right? We know those, those things are they're available. Yes, he pursues us as we're pursuing him, but the whole divine nature piece, I don't know if we talk about that that much. When's the last sermon you heard on participating in the divine nature? Now, if you're an Eastern Orthodox Christian, there's, there's actually a lot they have to say about that. But we, as evangelicals, like we might read that and say, I don't know, uh, what's next? And we just kind of like move on because it doesn't really fit into our, our box quite. What does it mean to participate in the divine nature? Peter mentions how the corruption of this world is found in our desires. Right, if you look, um, you know, right, right there when he says, um, escaping the corruption of the world by our evil desires, that's the language of the will, the heart, we may call it. And when the deepest part of our inner will is filled with God's divine power, his nature begins becoming ours, and we begin participating in, very, in who God is and how he thinks and his wisdom that he has and, and his will on earth as it is in heaven kind of prayers, Jesus said that, be, that starts filling us. We start seeing life through the perspective of Christ. We start making decisions as if Jesus would do if he was in our shoes. This is not perfection language. He does not say we become one with God. None of that kind of teaching. No, he's inviting us to stay and rest in his Airbnb, if you will, sharing in his holiness and joy and peace and all the wonderful benefits of being in the very presence of God, being in his house. He wants to lavish on us and pour into us that we begin living this out. That's what we mean by change that comes out of being together as a church. And more on that in a moment. But listen to this. As we follow Jesus as a church, like I don't want to become the busy church that says, well, we need to do all this stuff to follow Jesus. The most important question we can ask of our discipleship ministries here is not what you have done for Jesus, but who are you becoming in him? Does that question make sense? It's not so much what we're doing as a church, it's who are we becoming in Christ? That's the question the Spirit of God is way more concerned with. You can do so much for him, that's great, but who are you becoming in him? This fruit of the Spirit that later in Galatians that Paul talks about, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, he calls them fruit, right? Because if you've planted a garden and you've seen things grow, like that doesn't happen quickly. You don't plant squash and the next morning, oh, 
like Jack and the Beanstalk. There's a huge squash laying there. Like, no, it takes time. You have to nurture it. This is not a quick process, what we're talking about. This is a slow work of the Spirit in our lives, but it's a deep, deep work of the Spirit in our lives. Now, Peter named that we get to escape these evil desires, right? And that is where the vast majority of our own marble slabs, if you will, in our life lie. Where you're sitting here, right, you're saying, yeah, like there's, there's a part of my life that I know it's not okay. It's destructive. Maybe there's great pain I haven't dealt with. Maybe there's things that are, that are hidden that I haven't brought to light yet and I want to just learn to live with it rather than do the hard work of letting God into them. But his work is an acorn, friends. There's nothing in your life that he can't cause and help you to overcome that he may share his life with you. And you say, well, I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe you're here to say, I don't know, like, what are you talking about? Like, how do I identify those parts of, of me that are, that are deep? You know, I don't just mean like a, a bad habit here or there, like the deep stuff. Like, how do we identify that stuff? Don't ask yourself that. Go to somebody closest to you a good friend, a family member, ask them. And you'll learn, right? Because they're going to be able to see you and know you in a way that maybe you can't see yourself. And so I heard, you know, there's one way to, to talk about it, which is this way. I think we all have like quirks in our life. Let me, um, that's a gentle way. I heard one pastor call it quirks. It's a very gentle way to talk about this because ultimately these are sin things, right? But let me define these, these quirks that can happen in our life. You're nice and kind, but maybe you're in this room. Maybe you're extremely just judgmental, a gossipy sort of person that kind of eventually when people get close to you, they kind of, you kind of chase them away because they're not quite sure that if they're not with you, like what do you, are they talking about me behind my back? Or maybe you're the kind of person that you're just like a really uh, uh, incredibly fragile person that's easily offended. And so um, you have people in your life, but people are kind of afraid to, to really talk to you deeply lest they offend you. And so then people don't really get deep with you really at all because they don't want to hurt you because you're always just kind of really fragile and emotional. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're always kind of defending yourself, right? Um, maybe there's some, there is some ancient sin maybe in your life that's just kind of in that secret dark corner that you've never let out that's been with you since you were a little teenager maybe. Maybe that's you. Like I'm talking about that kind of stuff in our life. When Peter says you get to partake in the divine nature, the reality is you don't have to live like that. Like those things can die with Christ on the cross. They truly can. And I want to speak to that to you this morning because I know there's so many of you that are just weighed down by something you know that needs to be changed in your life. And I'm here to say it is time, friends, for the transformation to occur in your life. I'm hungry for this. When I, when I go into this conversation in my own life, I talk to my wife about it often, like, tell me, like, what are those parts of my life? We've been talking about those things, and I just, I'm, just, I'm tired of them in my own life. I'm fatigued by them because they, they bear, the, the people around me get brought down by them, and I know they do, and you know they do. 
if you're honest. You know the effect it has on other people around you. And Jesus says, there's so much more life that I want you to have. Do you want it? He's offering it to us. I get a fire that like burns up when I think about this stuff, like this, this just deep fire of desire that says, Lord, pour yourself into me, Lord. I am not content to be where I am. I want you to just have all of me, whatever the cost, whatever it may be, Lord, pour your spirit into me that I may share in your life, share in your nature, Lord. That's the kind of prayers I've been praying as of recent, that I want you to pray along with me, that when we speak of this discipleship ministry, this is the ultimate goal, friends. This is the goal. Now, there's some fine print attached to this because I'm not saying, okay, so go strap up your boots and become like Jesus, let him change you. Like, go. Like, there's some fine print that attached. This is our second point here in our sermon. That none of this can happen as you're alone. You can't do this alone. The fine print of the Bible is that when you become in Christ, There's a package deal that comes, whether we like it or not, and it's the church. It's his body that he says, I'm going to change you and transform you along with the rest of me here amongst my people. You can't do this all alone. That's the fine print. And I'll explain. I read a great story of a company called Square Mouth in St. Petersburg, Florida. They sell travel insurance, and they, they wanted us to run this like experiment because they were convinced that, you know, nobody ever reads like insurance policies from page one to page 52, right? Like, who does that? I'd really do, though. Am I the only weird one? I tell Alex, she gets these like, you know, manuals. I'm like reading everything. She's like, what are you doing? Anyway, so they ran this contest where anybody who just signed up for insurance On page seven of the almost 4,000 word document, it said, this is a contest that rewards the individual who reads their policy information from start to finish. If you are the first to contact us, you may be awarded the pays to read contest grand prize of $10,000. In 23 hours, supposed to be a whole year project, somebody calls, they read it, and they get 10,000 bucks. That's a true story. It pays to read the fine print, especially in the New Testament. Because the fine print in the New Testament is there, is there is zero Lone Ranger Christianity in the New Testament. There's an assumption that everybody's together. And it's hard for us in our modern times to think that way because we're just so individualistic. We can be alone and everything is, you know, we can be so isolated. But the fine print of the Bible is everybody's, Jesus has modeled this, his, his inner three and his 12 group of men that he gathered around them. There's a larger group of even 72 that he sent out and trained up. There is no lone Christians that experiences the kind of transforming work that Christ has. You cannot do it alone. All spiritual formation gurus and Christian psychologists, um, as well as uh, what we see modeled by Jesus, they, they point to reality of like, how do we change? Like, how do we become transformed? There's a couple of things, and these will be sermons, actually, for April after Easter, so more to come on some of these. They said, number one, you, uh, there is your relationship with God, a, a life of deep contemplative prayer. We'll talk about what that means in, after Easter. 
There's also the reality that when suffering comes to our life, that's a, a time where we can be transformed, and that's another sermon for a different day. But the third pertaining to this sermon is deeply instructive for us. The most profound change happens in our lives when we have a group of one to three friends who we can simply bear our soul with without shame and without fear. Expanded upon a group of 10 to 12 people whom you enjoy life with, you pray with, you're enjoying life's events with, right? They're kind of like at your dinner table often, and they're a part of your life. And again, this is modeled after Jesus' inner three and his larger group of 12. In countless forms in church history, this has been made manifest as well. This is not pop psychology that says, oh, are you lonely? Just get a good friend. No, the New Testament says this is required, this is, this is absolutely required if we're to experience the fullness of this. It's not just a Jesus and me relationship. This is a fine print in the Bible. Now, it's hard because another research scholar in modern times, he, he's referring to our uh, 2024, he says we're entering into what, what, what he calls a friendship recession. There's an economic recession. We've heard about those things before, a friendship recession. Because after all these polls are doing, every year is ever increasing. More than one out of 10 Americans say they have nobody in their life that they could just bear their soul with without fear. They have nobody. One out of 10. And that number every year continually increases. Without it, your life in Christ will be stunted. A church community that does not pursue these things is going to be stunted. It'd be like building a car, but leaving out a gas tank, a gas pedal, and a steering wheel. It'd be incomplete if a church body tries to be the church without these all-important elements at its very center and core. That's that resilient foundation at the beginning of our sermon. Without them, there'll be bumps in our life, that we, uh, walls that we continually bump against time and time and time again. And as we kind of wrap this thing up here, just to remind you of the imagery of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. For just as the body is one and has many members and all members of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. We're all baptized in one spirit into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We're all made to drink of one spirit. As we close this sermon, Call the worship team to come up at this point. And um, Brian, who's going to share things from our, our, uh, our prayer team this morning. This is the foundational block that we're laying in this next season. We're going to pursue it. We're going to at least give space for it to occur. And I'm just, as your pastor here, I think still pretty new pastor of year number four, I'm asking you, the best that you can, join be a part of this. Devote yourself to one another in a fresh and new way. Don't be content with where you are in life and expect the very Spirit of God to usher you into a season of just deep transformation. The early Christians, you know, they, had a, they didn't have a lot of access to the Bible, you know, the early couple of centuries. And one of their biggest prayers uh, I love reading um, their early sermons and prayers and things. It was, Lord, I want to see your face. I want to see your face. And I pray that kind of hunger can drive us together. Lord, reveal yourself to this church, Lord. I pray for everybody sitting here this morning, Lord. I don't know what you, know, you may have spoken or, or done through this, my feeble words this morning. 
But Lord, would you make us hungry for this, Lord? Would you stir in us a desire for this, Lord? Or we know just how many people, hundreds of thousands of people and just in driving distance from this church, Lord, the vast majority that just don't know you, Lord. Would you help us to be a thriving disciple, making deeply relational community to where your spirit of God and his power is made manifest, Lord, and is revealed through us and through our love for one another, Lord. That's what we pray. That's what we seek. We pray this in your name. Amen. Breath 
Your way. 